back to the Wandering Very Center podcast. I am your host, Brian. Over there is Alex. Hello, everyone. As always, hope everyone's doing well out there in the ether. <laughs> welcome um, to NBR. Yeah, welcome to NBR. <laughs> Whisper talking. I was just listening to NPR on the way home, uh, catching up on Mark Zuckerberg going in front of the different committees today. Interesting. Answer Very interesting. His. So, right or wrong or whatever, just him being there, just just the significance of that was pretty... It's very strange to see. I watched the live feed mm-hmm. um, on my phone at work today. Um, shame, shame. Yep. Admitting that. <laughs> Come after me. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, just seeing him sitting there was bizarre in itself. And then when I first turned it on, um, they were still kind of doing whatever introduction kind of stuff happens at something like that, a congressional hearing. He looked like he was just shitting his pants constantly, like just a a stream of poop coming out the whole time. (laughs) He looked very uncomfortable, ready to cry. But then when he started talking, um, it felt very robotic, but it also... he didn't sound as scared as he looked, I guess, before he started mm-hmm. talking, but he probably rehearsed everything. <laughs> Not um, that uh, I don't have my own physical features or whatever, but he does kind of have that uh, deer in the headlights look. Oh, yeah. You know, just normal. Yeah, maybe. I don't I don't know. Don't look at too many pictures of him. Maybe that's what he looks like all the time, but either way. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen because, like, these Senate committees... I don't know. Sometimes, like, I feel like a lot of times they end up just becoming slightly cathartic bitch sessions where nothing really happens afterwards. So the, the yeah. senators, the senators, and whoever get to to ask their questions and sure. they have a, they have a moment to be angry, but then ultimately, yeah, I heard some you know comments that it's going to take a lot more than this for them to start regulating, but. I don't know. Based on their questions, it it really, I don't know, it didn't feel like it was going very well for him. Um, like, they were they were coming down on him pretty hard. I did catch... He had a, he had a back and forth with Ted Cruz, actually. Ooh. That was pretty interesting. Um, and I don't remember the exact specifics of it, but that was definitely a heated moment. I did hear part of the, the Lindsey Graham conversation and Lindsay was grilling him about having a monopoly and yeah just was yep, like, that was one part of it i don't think he knew what to say to that no Lindsay, kept you know because basically yeah. i guess the argument there is like if how can you expect someone to self-regulate if they have no competition is basically what he was after sure sure yeah the whole thing's weird because like they make their money on selling ads but that's exactly what they got in trouble for is running ads essentially right to an extreme uh, i mean yeah yeah there's a lot of there's but, some context in there but well yeah i mean the the cambridge analytica thing is you know it, it turned into ads in a sense but it did and i think what's really weird or unsettling if i have my facts straight here is just like the the ease or not even the ease the the lack of knowledge or perceived lack of, of knowledge that like those third parties were accessing the data through what seemed to be billed as a loophole. 
Like Facebook was Pretty like, well, much, we don't, yeah. we don't personally do any of this stuff, but all these third parties, they do. Right, right. And, and it's like, well, yeah, but you're doing it. Yeah. So so far, basically, it sounds like um, there's just a lot of apology going on from Facebook. Just you know, a bunch of we're sorry's, which I guess he's known for. <laughs> I haven't he really, is. yeah, he is. I haven't really followed as closely in the past, but. Yeah, I guess that's nothing new. One thing I had like hoped that the internet would be stronger on was like now that everything is basically anything that you do on the internet can be like pulled up. So mm-hmm. like all the all the Trump tweets from however many years ago, you yeah. can go you can go find tweets where he's pissed off about X, but then today he's doing X. Yeah, right? but he has a magical way of just making that basically not matter. Well, he does, but I, more, <laughs> and, and to the larger, like, I thought that that ability to go back in time and be like, well, you actually, five years ago, whatever the context is, I thought that that would have more of an impact in keeping people, like, honest. Yeah. Like, if I imagine myself back in college, like, I, I was optimistic that that sort of accountability would would persist, and it just, it doesn't. I mean... Maybe maybe we're still getting to that point, right? This is all still maybe hopefully maybe yeah maybe we're still, people we're still not used to that. Like you used to be able to just say shit and it wouldn't you know propagate any further than who heard it in your immediate presence, right? So maybe we're still just not over that. Maybe this will be that watershed moment where it's like okay, yeah. maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Jesus, fuck everybody over all the time. But yeah, I just thought it would be. Uh... So what are we gonna do? We uh, we recently posted our the existence know, of our I podcast know. to Facebook, and I'm wondering if that's like our final mic drop where we do that and then delete it. I'm still, I, I've had the delete page open for a while. Just I have the tab open right now. <laughs> yeah, same. So it's gonna happen. It's just it. I'm willing to admit though that it totally is more difficult to do than. I was willing or ready for rather. Yeah, I guess ultimately what you need to decide is who who is actually important. Reach out to them and start like a text group, basically. Right. That's my plan. Yeah. I got a couple yeah. people that I'm like, you know what? I do want to keep in contact with you. I'm just going to start a group chat and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's probably a good way to go about it. There isn't really anybody that I communicate exclusively through you know, right. with through Facebook anyway, so it's not really a big deal for me. But right. for other people, for sure, who use it more than I do. Crazy times, my friend. We are in some crazy, crazy times. There was one point where, um, who was running the the hearing? Ooh, the I main. Don't, I don't know. He he basically asked. <laughs> he asked Facebook. Um, after a bunch of questions, you know, about how they were letting all of these, you know, issues with the ads get by and all that stuff, he then proceeds to ask, well, how can a company like Facebook expect to make any money if they don't charge customers for their service? And the room was silent for like five seconds. And then Mark Zuckerberg's like, well, we run ads. (laughs) It was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. 
ridiculous. The whole thing is just never dealt with this before. So he uh, he's back there tomorrow too. Yep. So tune in. <laughs> All right, let's get this thing rolling. Let's do it. All right, so my topic for the week: traditions. So mm. the definition: the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation, or the fact of being passed on in this way. Hmm. So I grabbed a couple funny, interesting traditions, um, but trying to stay away from lists a bit more here. I thought traditions in general were an interesting topic. There is a, a particular tradition that I'll talk about in a minute that sent me down this path, but like if you think about humans and then other animals, mm-hmm. humans are kind of the only ones that I could think of that have what you would consider a tradition in the sense of like, I don't know, like Halloween or whatever. Yeah. Can you define it again? The transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when I think about other animals doing things generationally, it's just instincts. Right. So that made me write down the question of, like, well, I guess what I asked myself was, where does the, ultimately what I asked myself about this whole topic was, why do humans have basically two sets of traditions you have the actual instinctual ones which aren't really traditions and you can you can find commonalities between us and animals like mating rituals uh like geese and stuff or i'm sorry geese uh birds whales Mm -hmm. and stuff they all migrate on a yearly basis so you could kind of call that a tradition but it's yeah i mean by the definition but are they're not consciously passing it down are they no i don't think so no but that being said good well i'm just thinking about you know maybe some of the traditions in our family and i'm sure others can relate let's say you go to thanksgiving dinner at your aunt's house they're not you know like proactively passing it down to you they're not sitting you down and saying okay you need to do this this is why we do this blah 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 maybe some but in my own experience, that didn't happen. But you still might carry that on as a tradition just because it's something that you enjoyed or whatever. They didn't, right. you know, in, you know, um, pass it down explicitly like that. So I, I got a little bit to say on that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It wasn't like we were ever like, well, you kind of inherently know why you're, you have a tradition because you want to spend time with the family. It's a fun thing. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's something that keeps you coming back. Yeah. Um, But I I was trying to think of like where that comes from. Why, why do we appear to have this extra level of something? And I I just, I guess I was wondering if like it was some form of, it was a manifestation of something that was instinctual. So. Hmm. I seriously, yeah. Right. Like, did we have something in the past that wherever our ancestors or, you know, whatever that's from, like, was there something that was critical to our survival that's now mm-hmm, making its mm-hmm. way? And I guess you could argue it's just like, at least in the case of like Christmas and Thanksgiving and some of those types of traditions, just the family unit and 
camaraderie and, and sort right. of relation, relationship building, I guess you could bring yeah, back I would to imagine like grooming. that there's a inherent, um, you know, human desire to pass down things that you've learned and you're most likely going to encourage, you know, future generations to do things that had a positive effect for you. And fast forwarding to modern times where we have like Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that crap, that's just a modern um, manifestation of the things that please us today, right? Right. So if we were if we were ancient humans, we would teach about the tradition of I don't know how to make a certain type of food. Whereas you know that's still the case, but things in the modern world are more complex. You end up with Christmas and Thanksgiving and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. The um, so trying to answer this question a little bit, I was I was looking around and I, I found an article. I'll be honest, I don't. They don't have any sources, which is concerning. That just means we get to interpolate. <laughs> um, but they kind of listed out three reasons why uh, people love traditions. And they kind of map back to what, um, or at least the first one does. Um, or I'm sorry, the first and the third. But they kind of map back to what we were talking about, where it probably harkens back to some form of instinctual survival technique. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, fir- the first one that they say is, is psychologically, it, it might be rooted in safe, uh, basically just safety in numbers. So hmm. just just by def not by definition uh in most contexts a group is safer than sure a, a, an individual i'm glossing so, over a lot there but is that you know go along with the whole tribal thing that seems kind of trendy to talk about these days <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i would i would think so yeah that like that way of thinking yeah and like if you think about I was thinking about like oral traditions and like the passing down of stories. So like mm-hmm. traditions could be a way of, as you said, like passing down what you've learned, actually. That was a good way to say that. Mm-hmm. So like you have different tribes and stuff that would record stuff in different ways. There's the, I'm totally going to butcher the, the memory of, um, you have those, oh, there was a Native American, well, I don't know if it was a particular tribe or a whole group or whatever. Uh, where they would record stuff with those bead patterns. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely. It was something to do with... I didn't, I didn't look this up beforehand. It was something to do with uh, basically the, the order and the color and, and different aspects of the beads basically told a story, and that was how huh. they kept a record of, of their history. Okay. So, yeah, the, the first one there was just safety in numbers, and, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but, like... Then also in the modern context, you know, you're not driving to your aunt's house and be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to be safer in 30 minutes than I currently am now. No, definitely not. <laughs> Nobody's. <laughs> Let me risk my life on the road to get to this place where numbers are not significantly important. I mean, the neighbors clearly are going to attack the house, so we've got to be ready. Be there. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that's a... But I mean, to to think that just because anything. something started that way doesn't mean you know that 
those, it's not like the feelings are residual or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, right. if it started as a safety numbers thing, doesn't mean that um, it didn't just transform into what it is now. Right. The, the third one uh, in that list was um, basically traditions and everything that's wrapped up into it. I'm, I'm going to gloss over the details. Ultimately, the theory is, is that it results in, in mentally healthier children. Oh. Yeah, yeah I can That give one's you some, quite a bit different. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I can give you some highlights. Um, uh, ultimately, it boils down to happy childhoods. The parents have a happy childhood. They remember those traditions fondly uh, mm-hmm. and all the good memories that came with it. And then they want to replicate that for their children. And if they do that successfully, then the cycle is repeated. And mm-hmm. so ultimately, you're, you're fostering just good childhood, uh, you sure. know, a positive childhood, which arguably and pretty pretty strongly does result in happier people for the most part. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a two for one, right? You're, you're fostering a better childhood, but it's probably also nice for you to relive those traditions as well. Right, if they had a positive effect sure. on you as a kid, reliving them as an adult can, you know, unless it's like watching your old favorite TV show and twenty years later, and you're like, oh shit, this actually sucks. <laughs> 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 Should have never watched it. <laughs> I had as I, I told you about this the other day, but I, I recently had an experience. Not that the show itself sucks, but I was watching uh, that '70s show. It's on Netflix. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was so disheartened because the show is great. Yeah. And I was I was watching an episode which which was uh, featured Kitty, and she's my favorite, and she's <laughs> great, and she's the best. <laughs> and um, but the laugh track in the show. Oh. Now, now that I'm like, not specific. I, I guess I just tuned into it, and. I guess I guess I'll say that it ended up kind of ruining the experience for me. I didn't want to let it do that, but it kind of. I don't did. think I've ever focused on it that hard. I didn't plan to. I turned it on yeah. totally innocuously. I was just like, let's let's relive some good childhood memories and watch yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. And the laugh track was just. I thought you were gonna say that watching um, Danny Masterson ruined it for you. Ooh. Because he got me tooed. Yeah, he did. Well, he it well. Well, I mean, he did the thing. There's there's two bad things there. Not only did he get that, but he's also a Scientologist. So true. Yikes! That's heavy. Yep. Also, watching Mila Kunis, knowing she's 14 in that first (laughs) season. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Also, not very comfortable. Yeah. But still a great show. Eh, whatever. Uh, I thought she was pretty young. Definitely. Pretty young, for sure. 15, 16, maybe 14 is a little aggressive. But, dude, I wish I I could remember her name, the actor that plays Kitty. Just the way she deals with, like, stressful situations in that show. Is it Deborah something? That sounds right, yeah. I'll find it while I'm talking. Um, Red is still my favorite. He's, uh, the two of them (laughs) are just... Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Deborah Joe Rupp. Ah. Good call. 
halfway there. Just, just her love. Her, geez, her love. Her laugh <laughs> and just the way that she like tries to keep the family unit together. I know. Just... It's, it's great. <laughs> so traditions. Um, talking through that and everything as I was thinking about this, I wondered if... Um, I wondered if traditions in some way can end up holding back society. Hmm. What I mean by that is we keep doing the same thing, at least on some level, because simply because we've been doing it for hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, Yeah. And I just wondered if like, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a reach to say that like Christmas is holding people back. Well, but there, my, my mind tra- went to um, the presidency. I know that's an extreme example, but that's something we've just been doing since the beginning, right? And we haven't really reevaluated. Well, I no. mean, or the there were no term limits <laughs> till uh, middle of the century. Yeah, but just the... And it's not like we're the only ones doing it, obviously, but just the idea of having... Maybe this is a worldwide tradition, just the idea of having a single person... At the wheel. Yeah. And we don't now, need to necessarily dive into that. but Yeah, I was just going to say, without digressing too much, you know, you get into the great man theory, and there is a sufficient amount of evidence that is, it's hard. Well, it's all anecdotal, but there are moments in history where you could postulate that if it were any other person or group of people in that situation, we might not have made it out. Uh, the big one being Truman and he Truman uh, based from the the historical stuff that I've read uh, recounting the time, basically everybody but Truman wanted to drop what a lot more bombs. (sighs) And he was the only one I'm sure I'm sure I'm somewhat misinformed on this, but a lot of people, military advisors, you name it, were like, no, we got to keep going. Because if we really don't solidify the fact that we're the, you know, that we're in this position, and we allow others to get nukes, it's going to be a problem. Right. And he he ended up, you know, pretty much being the guy that said no to dropping more bombs. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So so would you say that Christmas is holding us back? <laughs> Ooh. Um. I don't know about holding us back, but it's making us do some weird shit. It is. Like Black Friday. Yep. That's not making anybody smarter or doing anything good for anyone. Um, it's also just, not real anymore. Like in terms no, of it's not real. <laughs> that's uh, so true. Hey, there that's a mini tradition in itself. We just keep calling it Black Friday because that's what we've always called it, but really it's not what it is at all. <laughs> Yeah, and it's called Black Friday for a totally separate reason from shopping. There's a market crash that was the reason that day is called Black Friday is because of a market crash many well, years not even ago. Relevant? Yeah, it's not Barely. even. <laughs> I think I have that right. I'm pretty sure I have that right. Um, yeah, so I would, in a in a religious sense, I wouldn't say it's holding anyone back. Um, but because there are definitely it, it things that... actually, you know, it's causing families to come together. So that's only a good thing. You would think. Yeah, for the, in general. 
Um, but from like a consumerism standpoint, it's pretty messed up, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm sure there are all there are a bunch of stuff. So one of the ones that I wrote down, ultimately, not it's not that really bad, but it's a tradition where you're like, okay, you know, why are we still doing? Th- not why are we still doing this? But I just I wrote down kegs and eggs. <laughs> So well, you had a pretty intense first-hand experience with that. I did, I did. Um, kegs and eggs is a is a tradition. I don't know where it originally started. Probably not a strictly American thing, but on St. Patty's Day, around St. Patty's Day, um, you, you, I mean, you, it's really just an excuse to drink all day. But you go to a bar and they open the bars early and they have breakfast at the bars and you go and drink beer and have breakfast and then continue mm-hmm. drinking and eating all day. Sounds nice. <laughs> so not necessarily the worst <laughs> tradition ever, but like, it's just, I guess that one was just poignant to me. Uh, just funny because it was, it's got such a catchy name and it's like, you could pick any day in the year to do that. And they were like, no, let's do it right here. See, and that's one of those ones where like, I don't know. I don't. I don't see anybody passing it down from one generation to the other. It's just like that one could die pretty easily. Yeah, but people just observe it, and you know, it keeps happening and happening and happening, and just gets passed down by association, I guess. Yep. So before I name um, some of the traditions, I thought there's some of these that I just. I picked a couple of ones that are just hilarious and absurd and great. Um, can you think of any, I was trying to think of traditions in my own life, maybe related to states that we live in, what we've done. Hmm. So I came up with uh, the polar bear swim. Oh man. There, that's a crazy one because people die for that one. <laughs> So the polar bear swim is a thing. I'm sure it happens in other places, but upstate New York, where we grew up, um, you pick the coldest day of the year or just the middle of January or whatever, and you go <laughs> jump in a lake. You have like a <laughs> six-month window up there. <laughs> you go jump in a lake, and you you know you last as long as you can, and you get out, and it's a you know people come together, and it's a whole thing. But the reason that I picked that one as as being a bit absurd is because people have died from heart attacks because the the shock of getting into the cold water has killed them instantly or not instantly but so that one's like why are we still doing this so do they side note do they have to like chisel out a section of the ice i would think so yeah that's how yes the ones i've been to yes okay and i did it once uh i remember doing it yeah yeah we did it yeah we did it once i don't know if it was quite it wasn't you know, chisel the ice cold. No, it wasn't. If you're thinking of the same one that I'm thinking of, it was yeah. not. Yeah. Um, Damn, can you imagine? It, can you imagine dying from that? I'd be pretty upset if there's an afterlife and you get like a, a debrief of your life, and they're like, "All right, here's how you went out," and be like, "Ah, oh, fuck." I would get a tattoo of the water temperature just like on my forehead <laughs> or something. <laughs> this killed me. <laughs> Um, so while you're, if you can think of any, I got a couple more here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll think as you're going, if um, you can, uh, I thought that, uh, 
the garter belt at weddings is pretty whack. Oh, that's a weird one. You know what I'm talking about? So this is a thing where I actually, I didn't look anything up. I've just, I've seen it a few times and I guess I don't fully understand the, the historical context, but basically the wife, I'm sorry, the, the newly married bride sits down in a chair and I believe that the, the groom, the husband basically takes off this garter belt, which is um, basically a piece of uh, uh, elastic that yeah. is up up her leg, like up her thigh, like quite a yeah. ways. So it's, yeah. it's risque. And he takes <laughs> it off and he throws it into the crowd of men, similar to throwing the bouquet of flowers. Yeah, to it's a, the male a, version of that, right? Right. And, I mean, it's kind of creepy, I guess. So really. is that like symbolism for like, now the the wife is open for business because, you know, in traditional times they weren't doing it until they got married. Maybe is that what that symbolizes? That's my guess. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, I don't know. Um, and I I'm not gonna look it up. We'll we'll leave that one, <laughs> we'll leave that one open. But yeah, just the tradition itself, and especially the tossing it to the group of men, just seems. Yeah, see, that's the type of stuff, like, if I were planning a wedding, I just, why would I want to do any of that? I don't. What's the point? Doesn't sound fun, it doesn't sound funny, doesn't sound interesting. You could, I guess you could say something similar about the the bouquet throwing, but that's much, seemingly, at least from my biased perspective, much more pedestrian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess hmm, maybe. But the reason they really like weddings, like looking forward to that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, the the, the reason for throwing the bouquet though is um, the woman who catches it, who's a bridesmaid. If she's single, it's supposed to like be good luck for for right. Getting like a, she would be the husband, next one to get married or something. Which I which I guess in this modern context is pretty sexist. <laughs> it's bizarre. Okay, one. the last one that I that I well, I had a couple, but the last one I'll I'll bring up right now as far as ones that I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought ground Groundhog Day is pretty stupid. Oh man, <laughs> these are good. I had a lot of time to think about this, so. <laughs> and by good, I mean really dumb. It's, no. <laughs> pretty, it's pretty dumb, right? Like that one. That one, I I'll give a pass in the sense of like, it's not hurting anybody. It's just no. A fun it's thing. definitely not hurting anyone. But it makes no sense. Is that and... you beeping? Yeah, it is. We're good. It stopped. Okay. <laughs> Sounded like a fire alarm. It was. I oh, didn't set it... it off, though. Yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. There's no fire. No. Granted, if there were, this could very well be my reaction to it. Nothing. Because there was that one time where I stood up in my sleep and took the fire alarm off the ceiling when it was going (laughs) off and put it on my bedside and went back to bed. (laughs) Like in a daze? Like you didn't really? Yeah, like like I slept like the equivalent of uh, sleepwalking, but I stood up on my bed and twisted the smoke (laughs) alarm off and shot it off and put it down. Clearly, your subconscious mind was like, there's no danger here. I just wish I could sleep like that nowadays. Must have been sleeping like a rock or sedated or something. 
stay away from the I've never experienced them, but I've heard some crazy stories about things like Ambien. So oh not that I think you would take that. Sort no, of that was not. No, I, I think I no, was I like 16 when this happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> um, so other to think. Yeah, yeah, well, you mentioned quite a few. Yeah, there it goes again. It's all right. Hang on. Quick side note on fire alarms. Don't put it on the ceiling right in the kitchen. Yeah, like right next to the stove. Because <laughs> any kind of, this is an old house that we're renting. Any kind of smoker gassing from even just using the stove, not even or I mean the oven, sorry, and the slight steam and stuff that comes from that will set it off. It's awful. Yeah. So don't I gotta be that. careful when I cook bacon because Mine are uh, mine are pretty sensitive as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so on the uh, topic of like holidays and stuff, one that kind of bothers me is um, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Because it's just completely fake. <laughs> what? Uh, what's the term? Uh, like a Hallmark holiday, right? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's what people thing. say. Which yeah. I think is has got some truth to it, right? I think I I imagine it. I mean, there's a Saint Valentine, but I would hazard a uh, guess that yeah. if the well, day yeah, itself, but they probably just chose that because it made sense. Either that, or it kind of. I imagine it's one of two things. Either it's completely fabricated, which probably isn't the case. More likely, it's a a molestation of what was like a religious thing, and yeah. the Hallmark was just like, oh shit, we're gonna sell right. chalky candy Jump on, on this that. day, yeah. Oh, super quick digression. Uh, Neko, the company Neko that makes those crazy wafers, like the candy, Ugh. the chalky wafers. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. They're go. They're potentially going out of business, and the sale. People are buying up the candy. Like the the sales of the stuff is all of a sudden through the roof. What? Yeah, people are buying up those Neko wafers, I, like like literally right now. On should eBay. I buy them and and then sell them? <laughs> no, don't do that. Oh, okay. I don't even want to touch those things. They're gross. So, uh, the uh, tradition... Actually, go ahead, oh, go ahead. I had one more. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. I'm going to reach back in time to a previous episode. Um, the whole 9 to 5 thing. Oh, fuck. That's yeah. a tradition that's fucking wonky, man. We talked all yeah. about that. So we don't need to do it again, but... And we keep doing it because we've been doing it. And there's an entire industry, or many, many, many industries, literally built around. So there's society oh, really built around one. it. That's a really good one. We have an entire society built around this thing that we all do. And you could argue it's that made there's prob- You could argue that there's better ways to do it. That's a really good one. Well done. Thanks. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that got me down this path. Um, We'll, uh, I'll just wrap up with naming a couple funny ones here. There's a Greek tradition. All right, I'm going to butcher this. Ready. I, pra- I already practiced it, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ruketo Polemos. Sounds beautiful. There are, there are two churches in Greece, and each year, except for 2016, when things got a bit out of hand in 2015, and they suspended it for a year, uh, these two churches fire fireworks at each other a lot of them like a lot of them like it's almost warfare like it looks like warfare (laughs) 
And the object is to have one of the fireworks, I mean, the stated objective is to have uh, one of the fireworks strike the other church's bell, and then you win. What? So you can go Google this. I encourage you to do it. Uh, if you type, it, type in, like, Greek churches firing rockets or, or whatever, you'll find it. And the videos are, I mean, it's, it's beautiful looking. It's really quite something. But How ultimately, it's that? just too... How did you learn about that? Uh, the internet. Greek fireworks battle on Easter. I will be watching that later. Boom. There you go. So it's, I guess, I guess it's an Easter tradition. They've been doing it for that's... a long time. The two churches are about I mean, that four... sounds fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> the two churches are 400 meters apart from each other, which is like, pre- that's <laughs> okay. pretty good. I was going to say, because if they were like neighboring churches hitting the other bill, shouldn't be that hard, but it sounds like maybe that's actually pretty difficult oh i'm sorry and I'm, I'm reading my notes here direct hits on the bell are supposedly counted on the next day to determine the winner because when you uh, see how many rockets these guys are firing there's no way to know which was the first rocket like it's a yeah. lot of them nor so do you that... nor do you have somebody standing up there next to the bell <laughs> going one ding two church buildings themselves and the nearby buildings have to be extensively boarded up and protected with metal sheets and mesh for the occasion. <laughs> this is like a lot of effort. Yeah, it does. Tens of thousands of homemade rockets are launched. Oh, each God, year. they're homemade. Yeah, dude. It's it's actually like, I'm pretty jealous. Huh. So definitely look up that one. So reason to, to become religious, I guess. There's uh, something called baby jumping in Spain and it's exactly what you're picturing right now they lay babies out on the ground and they jump over them oh while there are no reports of injuries or babialities I did not know that was a word that's actually not a word that is totally made up what the hell why oh Baba Lee I don't like this one yeah that's made up um I, I don't know why. Um, I was just looking for bizarre traditions once I was on the path here. Yeah. Um, no concrete origin for the bizarre ritual exists, but it dates back to the 17th century. So Parents with children born during the previous year bring the little tykes out and place them in neat rows <laughs> of, on top of pillows spaced out down a public street. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking at right now. And then they jump over the babies. Uh, guys Who donates masks. their baby for this? I don't know, like, but the crazy part is, is that, uh, at least according to my source, nobody's no baby's ever been landed on. Because I mean, for everything. What do you do in that situation? Oh, I crushed your baby. You gave me your baby to jump over, so you understood the risk. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, two more, real quick. Um, yeah. There's a. There's a Czech uh, tradition. I won't go over the roots of it. It's it's all sort of rooted in some interesting things. But um, there is a night each year where young lovers jump over the dying embers of bonfires. But even more weirdly, single men are also encouraged to leave tokens of freshly cut branches on the doorsteps of women that they wish to court. Like what? <laughs> what? 
Okay, so the, I, I guess I will go over the roots. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So in modern, they the the article that I was looking up for this one uh, did uh -huh. mention that nowadays the the attitude towards the festival is or the night or whatever is much more relaxed, and they obviously don't because it has its roots in basically like witches. Like they thought that witches were flying around on this night. Mm -hmm. uh, these set of nights, basically because these set of nights fell between two other significant times. So they thought that the evil spirits had more power during this particular time. That results in witches flying around on their broomsticks. So you build bonfires to keep the witches away. Holy shit. Could you imagine if we still thought stuff like that was real? <laughs> Quote, flocks of witches. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's amazing i don't even know what that looks like <laughs> just, i imagine you know like when bats fly out of a cave yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i mean like are they the green like witch from the witch wizard of oz like oh my I gosh know. i don't know maybe all different types uh a there's a tradition there's a tradition in scotland that looks to be still practiced pretty regularly today the, the bride of the wedding is paraded down a street or whatever, and she is on the receiving end of just people throwing all the nasty shit you can think of. Literally, rotten food, oh, sewage, God. you name it. Anything on, nasty people. that anything nasty that you can come up with. What's that doing for That her? isn't going to kill the bride. I have no idea. Like that resilience? One, I, literally, that's all I wrote down about that one because it was pretty that's gross. That's fucking weird. Okay, Where the last one. Where is that happening? That was Scot That was Scotland. Huh. So the last one. Um, I'm not gonna. Oh, jeez. G A with an umlau V L E. The Gavel goat. Okay. Is a Swedish Christmas goat sculpture. So okay. in Swedish culture, they they make like goats out of straw as part of their Christmas tradition. Okay. So there's this town that makes this big one, and they put it in the town center. It's like mm -hmm. 20, 30 feet tall. It's pretty big. Oh, wow. eh, 20, was... 20 feet tall. It's pretty big. Uh, so, But that's the one tradition. The way funnier tradition is that every year, save one or two years, despite their best efforts, somebody burns the goat down. What? Yep. Every Wait, year. And they don't, know, they don't necessarily know who it is every year. Like maliciously? Maliciously. Yeah. Well, not necessarily maliciously, but... It's more like it's, it's more like a tradition. cat and mouse. Yeah, it's yeah, part yeah. of it. I got but it. But the but the city actively tries to stop like there's cameras, there's they actively try to stop <laughs> the goat from being burned down. So they don't want the goat to be burned down, but somebody mm. burns it down almost every year, which I thought was just fantastic. Sneaky. I wonder how they So that's doing traditions. That. Uh, I had thought about different ways to do that. Yeah, I'm I thinking think about different ways now. I think it would be pretty easy to put on a mask and fire a flaming arrow at the goat and then run away. I think that'd be pretty yeah, easy to do. Depending on their, how extensive their camera system is. I um, mean, if you're wearing I a mask, you would drop a, run... a Molotov cocktail from a drone, probably from above. Ooh, good one, good one. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the middle of a circle, like a, like a roundabout. Like mm. a big one. Yeah, they're going to put it in a glass box one day. It's a big-ass glass box. Yeah. Um, hmm. How do I connect the dots? 
That Barry Center is way out there right now. Um, hmm, I should have been thinking about this better. I was keeping your interest pretty, pretty well. Uh, let's see. While you're thinking of that, I do have one more. Don't listen to me. But for our listeners, there's another one. I this one has a lot of probably has a lot of cultural stuff, but I just I picked it out because it's it's more difficult sounding than anything. There's a, a less and less practice custom in China where there's a many many days of crying before a wedding where the bride is encouraged, demanded, whatever, to cry. And then like the after a, after ten days, specifically ten days, then the mother joins in and starts to cry every day. And like if you don't cry, it's, it's like seen as like Pretty much, yeah. She has to cry for an hour a day. You're supposed to be thinking of a segue. I'm trying to. What? The, fill I, yeah. That. No, I got one. Now I'm listening <laughs> okay, to this, okay. and this is just makes literally no sense in my brain. Okay. Usually the usually the bride begins to cry a month before the wedding day. <laughs> as the are night they falls. tears of joy or are they? Well, just... yes and no. Like it's it's a sign of respect. But I just, and that's fine. Like that's, you're great to have your cultural traditions. The reason, again, the reason I picked it out is because that just sounds really difficult. It's true. It does sound like pretty big burden. Like it might detract some people from wanting to get married. Then I don't want to cry that much. <laughs> <laughs> Not even sure I could. Like no. just from a, I would just have to watch like terrible, sad animal videos. Like Sarah McLaughlin. I was. That's exactly what I was thinking. Get off my TV, Sarah. I know right, the issue. All right. So traditionally, um, in this country, vehicle customers don't care about um, fuel economy. Okay? Traditionally, we just like to buy what we like, and we don't really care about anything else. We don't really consider environmental impact or anything like that. So... And that's gotten us into an interesting predicament, which are our uh, cafe standards, which is what I want to talk about today. Cafe standards? Yep. And that's an acronym, which stands for Corporate Average Fuel Economy. Um, Okay, so and before I get going here, when I talk about stuff that I'm passionate about, I tend to get really like... (laughs) All over the map. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to not, or to be cohesive with my thoughts and not be Right, you've got so, a lot of knowledge up there about this, I imagine. It's hard for me to pick and choose the right stuff sometimes. Um, but we'll do our best here, so hang on. Um, but the reason I want to talk about this now is because um, you've probably heard, and I'm sure listeners have as well, uh, a bunch of talk about Trump and his gang of EPA posse people wanting to roll back um, current standards. You've heard Dude, that, right? The whole the whole EPA, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Um, although I didn't see the cafe part of things. Uh, yeah. But just that whole EPA thing, it just, oh man. It's, it's gross. Yeah. It's hard to think about. It is. But yeah, so they want to roll back these things called cafe standards, the corporate average fuel economy. So I want to talk a little bit about what that is. Um, why it matters, how we got where we are, um, 
and then and then some of the motivations um, for what they want to do. Um, but before we get into the history of you know thought on why you and our listeners should give a shit about this, so um, transportation is one of the largest, if not the largest, contributor to. Um, greenhouse emissions and thus global warming i recall one of our very first episodes before we even like had a formula we talked about um how much pollution just a single shipping uh container ship puts (laughs) out and it was legitimately mind-blowing like pretty disturbing actually it it hurt to read um yeah i believe that yeah so Transportation as a whole is one of the biggest contributors. And then passenger cars, you know, like what I'm driving, what you're driving, and what most people around the world are driving, you know, except for maybe people living in, in cities with good public transit. Right. Um, are a huge part of that transportation system. So it makes sense that, you know, controlling what's coming out of these things is in our best interest. I agree. Um, so the U.S. alone is contributing to 15% right now of total greenhouse emissions. So you could say that probably, you know, let's say that transportation is one of the largest um, contributors to that. So maybe 5% of total greenhouse gas emissions worldwide is coming from U.S. transportation alone. Um and China is actually the largest one at thirty percent overall. Which I was is just going to ask a quick digression or question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we as America had the the like the car culture, right? Yeah. yeah. It, are we still? Would you anecdotally are we still sort of that? Um, I don't think quite as much as we were. Like but the seventies and the eighties. Yeah, in not even well, sixties well, and earlier 70s, than that I would too. Say. Yeah, sixties and seventies. Yeah. Yep. But in general, I would say that yes, because a lot of people love cars. There are a lot of people that don't, but it's a pretty like you don't have to be super geeky about cars to really like cars, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um everybody can enjoy them. So I think there is a there's definitely a car culture that's quite widespread compared to other consumer items right and then countries like china are definitely going through what we went through already with real quick the reason the 80s isn't a car culture thing is because once cocaine showed up that was (laughs) that was which had a huge impact on car design by the way did it oh there's a there's a good topic i want to know more about that yeah we can we can talk about that um i'll write that so but is china um are they going through like the style portion of the car culture? So when I think about American cult- car culture, I'm thinking about like I'm getting Mustang and mm-hmm. fuck you for getting a uh, Corvette. Um, sort of. I mean, they're going through it in their own way, but basically, you just are getting more and more people that are able to afford cars. Right. Okay. So they're going through their own version of it, but it's all stems from the fact that people are now able to afford them. Sure. Um, All right, so a little interactive exercise here. This is something that we did, uh, or I remember doing in school a couple years ago. Um, And off the top of your head, without spending too much time thinking about it, 
for you, does it make sense to increase, let's say, the mileage of two vehicles are the same? We have a, a Prius and we have a F-150. Let's say both of these cars drive 12,000 miles a year, which is roughly okay. the average. The Prius right now gets 30 miles per gallon average, and the F-150 gets 14. Is it more advantageous to change the Prius from 30 to 50 miles per gallon, a 20 mile per gallon gain, or is it more advantageous to change the F-150 to 19 miles per gallon from 14, which would be a 5 mile per gallon increase? Ooh, which one, which uh, one yields a better, you know, savings of of gallons of gas? You can think of it that way. Oh, there's a lot of things. I'm trying to be quick. I guess my gut. <laughs> yeah, my what's your gut, gut feeling? My guess, my gut was to fix the truck. Okay, why? A lot of people. Um, I probably did think about it too much. A lot of people <laughs> don't drive necessarily a lot of highway model miles hmm. so getting in my truck and going to the store five miles away versus getting in my prius and going to the store my five miles away the truck is going to be way worse that's definitely true um so it actually just works out to straight math if you do um so you're right though that it's much more so in this example here you're saving um, 160 gallons a year by increasing the Prius from 30 to 50 compared to 226 gallons if you increase the truck from 14 to 19. So, and the math just works out to um, 12,000 miles over 30 minus 12,000 miles over 50 for the um, for the Prius, and you do the same thing for the F-150. So, it's just a it's a percentage thing, right? Right, right. I can see why though. Obviously, I can see why you would pick the Prius because I mean that's twenty mpgs. Yeah, fifty sounds amazing. Increase of twenty, but um, yeah. So, so that's just interesting. So, and the reason I brought that up is just because it's not, you know, everybody thinks about like, okay, we got to have more Priuses on the road, and and yes, that's true, but also we need to um, bring up the vehicles that are way lower in the range. Yeah, there's there's a stagnation point, was, right, or diminishing returns, I guess is the way you'd say it. There is, right. Uh, that was my other thought too. Is there's probably way more trucks on the road than Priuses, but I knew that wasn't yeah, necessarily we can, part we, of the. Yeah, that's not necessarily included as an example, but we will talk about that. Um, okay, so how did we get here? Um, so Cafe, this uh, corporate average fuel economy thing, started in 1975. It was a um, Basically, a response to the whole oil embargo thing that happened in right seventy three. Um, so, get this: in nineteen sixty seven, the average fuel economy for new vehicles was fourteen point eight miles per gallon. This is okay. all U.S. numbers. I'm gonna go through. Obviously, we're talking U.S. here. Um, it actually declined to less than thirteen by nineteen seventy four. So muscle cars and fucking horsepower. <laughs> Man, real fast. That that time, ultimately, you can look back and say it was very wasteful and all those things. But oh, yeah. I do love that Like companies were acting with 
what I guess I'll call like fun intentions. Like they yeah. were like, all right, let's, yeah, let's go faster. Like everybody right. wants to go faster. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm on board. Yeah. That when that embargo hit, not only did that hit, but you had a, a point where, you know, these car companies and the people buying the vehicles just didn't give a shit about that at all. So they also I mean, didn't care at all about safety. No. Oh, that's a different conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So when this came out in 75, the initial goal was to double fuel economy by 1985. So 10 years from when it was announced, they needed to double the fuel economy, which was definitely ambitious. Um, so, but the way it works is um, basically it's an average number. Um so if you take a, a car maker, you know, Chevrolet, it's based on um, sales volume for their vehicles with, it basically only accounts for vehicles with a um, weight rating of 8,500 pounds or less. So commercial vehicles are in their own area, um, but this is for passenger vehicles. So this is why... <laughs> Dodge is able to sell you a street legal drag racer and still comply to cafe regulations because they only sell a handful of demons relative to cars that do, you know, much better. So it's based on volume. Weird. Yeah. But it makes sense, right? If if you just did an average based on, okay, you have, you know, eight models in your stable and six of them are above 40 and two of them are above or below a certain whatever your your average number would be something but then when you actually look at the number of vehicles on the road the average would be completely different just based on what people are buying right right yeah i guess i just would have thought that you would have gone down to the car level the model level or did i misunderstand uh, that you do go down to the car level oh okay so, okay i must okay so if I'm selling, if I'm Chevrolet and I'm selling, you know, a hundred vehicles with 40 plus miles per gallon and only, you know, 10 vehicles with shitty gas mileage, I'm going to be doing a lot better than if it were reversed, even though from a, you know, stable standpoint, your average hasn't changed. What you're offering hasn't changed, but what people are buying has changed. So it matters what's actually out on the road, not what you're offering. Which I think is the right way to do it. I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the first, uh, when the standard started, um, it's the first standard was set in 78, so a couple of years after it was announced, and it was set at 18 miles per gallon. Um, and basically it just steadily increased um, until 1985, where it settled at 27.5, and it stayed there for a while. Um, and while that's good for emissions and all that, it definitely resulted in some pretty poopy vehicles being on the road. A lot of underpowered <laughs> stuff, things that people didn't really care about. But did we all get where we wanted to go? Did we yep. survive that time? I, I think we did, right? Yeah. We made it, we made it through. Um, so... And and we'll talk about this more, I guess. But the standards were lowered one other time. 
in the late eighties. It was lowered back down for probably some some weird reason. I didn't look into why, but it was quickly revised back to the twenty seven point five it was at before. So this isn't the first time somebody's challenged the regulation and wanted to lower it. So it's happened one other time, but it quickly went back. Um, Are we still at twenty seven point five? No. Okay. So, uh, and before, so right now we're at, um, and we can talk about it more in a minute, but 54.5 is the target for 2025. Damn. So there's a certain, um, you know, target for 2018, but basically, uh, the aggressive target is 54 and a half by 2025. So we can talk about that in a minute. Um, all right, but want to mention like where this all comes from how is it figured out um basically the epa is responsible for testing and rating cars the new vehicles that come out um and this is kind of interesting so there's a ton of engineering that i <laughs> struggled to not talk about but i i have to a little bit just some of it um so basically when they're rating these vehicles they do simulated driving cycles so they have these cycles, they put the vehicle on a dyno, and they put it under various situations that simulate real highway and real city driving as best as possible. So they have a highway cycle that's like 10 miles, roughly 48 miles per hour average, and no stopping to kind of simulate, you know, merging and getting off highways and uh, a wide variety of highways. miles, though? It sounds a little slow, but I think... The idea here is more the consistency rather than yeah. the speed. Yeah. Um, because highways range from... It depends on what their definition of a highway is. It could be a steady 45-mile-an-hour road or 55-mile-an-hour roads, stuff like that. Um, but there's no stopping and no idling in this. But then right. they, have their, they have their city driving cycle that is roughly 11 miles where the average miles per hour is only 20 and 18% of that is spent idling. So they use these various, you know, simulated situations to basically come up with a rating for how fuel efficient your vehicle is. And this obviously is going to vary um in real life situations, but by keeping it consistent between vehicles, you get an idea of how efficient they are. Um, but it's kind of interesting. They have a specific cycle for New York City um, huh. and stuff like that. Like, there's very specific cycles. They're not necessarily go into calculating the number you see posted on your window, but they're used for various things. We don't have to go into that, but... Um, I imagine the driving conditions in New York City are pretty unique. Definitely different, yep. Um, don't so, ever do it, by the way. I've driven in New York City one time. Oh, God. And it was one of the worst driving experiences of my life. And I almost knocked off a motorcycle rider. <laughs> Not because I wasn't looking, but he just... Uh, it was just an insane situation where he just came up on my right-hand side in what was basically a sidewalk and then tried to turn left in front oh, of God. me. Yeah. So I think the only one that's worse is maybe Boston. If you look at Boston roads on a map... They don't make any fucking sense. Oh, God. It's awful. It's all still from, like, when horse and buggies were driving around. Um, all right, so a little f- fact here. You know the sticker that's on your window of a new car that you buy that's got, like, the, you know, city mileage and highway mileage? 3225. That's right. Something like that. 
Do you know the name of that? Or the nickname for it, I should say? No, I do not. It's called a Monroni. A what? A Monroni. M-O-N-R-O-N-E-Y. And it's named... Get its name from... <laughs> gets uh, its name from... Oh, go ahead. You I was going to guess. It's some yeah. guy's name who instituted the regulation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Almer Sturwell Monroni. I did not know that, by the way. Uh, that was he was a, a senator from Oklahoma who initiated the Automobile Information Disclosure Act of 1958. But yeah, Thanks, it's called a Monroni. <laughs> um, yeah, so when the EPA, <clears throat> excuse me, is figuring out what an OEM or a you know a vehicle manufacturer, Chevy, Ford, whatever, what their cafe score is, how well they're doing. Um, they basically use a combined cycle of that city and highway, and they put a little bit of a weight to it. So the city driving cycle gets a 55% weighting over the highway. So they're actually assuming, exactly what you said before, that more people, slightly, are driving in city situations than highway. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's where the uh, larger contribution from an emission standpoint is coming from. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So then as you go through, they use, um, they basically calculate a harmonic mean that's using vehicle sizes and vehicle volume to come up with, uh, sales volume, sorry, not vehicle volume, but the size and the volume of sales to come up with, um, you know, the, the rating. Cause basically they, in 2011, they added in, um, kind of like an addendum, I guess, where the vehicle's footprint is taken into account. So before it was just like all vehicles are subject to these regulations. It doesn't matter. Now the vehicle's footprint, which is the track width, which is the width of the wheels when looking at the front or the back of the car, multiplied by the space between the wheels. So kind of think of think of the shadow that the vehicle casts on the ground as its footprint during, you know, high noon. Um <laughs> That's a really silly example, and also not that accurate. But it doesn't matter. The vehicle size is taken into account now. So that means that larger vehicles are regulated less strictly than a smaller vehicle from a number perspective. So, like, a Civic has a higher target to meet than an F-150. That seems kind of backwards. Like, I get it, but that seems kind of backwards. Like, going back to how you started this, Mm -hmm. we need the trucks to perform better. Yeah, but let's say, but remember I said that um, a 20 mile per gallon increase from 30 to 50 for the Prius is not as good as a 5 mile per gallon increase from 14 to 19 for. So not only was the requirement number lower for the F-150, but it was more beneficial. So... As long oh, as okay. as long as what I, you're I, doing, I see to, what you're saying. yeah, as long as what you're doing to come up with the regulation is proper, like the numbers you're using, result in that five mile per gallon gain that was beneficial in our example. As long as it's sufficient, then it does make sense, um, and we won't go through what those numbers are that go into it. But um, so, <laughs> what's crazy though is that it, it's not that simple. Um, have you ever heard of cafe score credits? Have you ever heard about an OEM earning credits? 
towards no, but I have a guess of what you're about to say, and it's both absurd and saddening in a way, if I'm right. Go ahead. Well, the credits are... They're weird, but they kind of make sense, I guess. Um, Basically, you want to take a guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something to the effect of, like, you did so good on that car that you can do shitty on this car. Almost. Almost, okay. Um... I did so good in 2017. Did so well, sorry. I, yeah, I did so well in 2017. I was above the target oh, by a certain okay. amount that I now have credits built up for the next year or whatever. I mean, I get it, but my, like, my alt, not my altruistic, um, my thoughts on humanity and my general hope and faith in people. Like, yeah, you beat the numbers in 2017. Mm-hmm. You should beat them even more in 2018. Yeah, you would think that they would just keep progressing. Why Why rest it. on your... A bit, let me put it this way. Anytime any racing team has ever had a string of success and then they've rested on their laurels and not progressed, right. the next stint is horrible. They do terrible. Yeah, and I'd, I don't have any specific examples where credits have been used. Um, now where it might be used is so literally millions and millions of dollars in fines are paid every year to the U S government for not meeting regulations, but the car still makes it out onto the road. Yep. Whoa. Cost of doing business. What? So, so they're like, we, cause we put all the R and D into this car. <laughs> it's worth it for us. Oh, that sucks. So it's it's worth it for us to put the car out on the road and sell the car, even though it's environmentally harmful, and we'll just pay the fine. Yep. Well, wow. you'll pay the fine by us increasing the price of the car. Motherfuckers. <laughs> and I have an example of that. Oh, so it costs. No. So the slight silver lining here, at least from my source that I have. Um, U.S. automakers are not paying any fines, not because of some government loophole, but because we are meeting what we need to be meeting. It's mostly good. actually okay. um, a lot of European automakers bringing their vehicles in, seeming to be paying the fines. But um, So an example, Porsche in 2010 paid one point, roughly $1.12 million in fines to the U.S. government for their vehicles. They sold 17,000 passenger cars, and so this is, I'm excluding light trucks here um, from that number. Um, So basically, they ended up paying roughly $66 per vehicle in cafe credits. And what I mean by that is the people who bought those 17,000 vehicles (laughs) paid $66 extra per vehicle to cover that, um, that cost. So, I mean, on the one hand, at least the cost being pushed to the person isn't that large, but then on two of your other three hands, um, $1.2 million is not a lot of money for no. selling, if you're in the business of selling Porsches. And then no, two, maybe the hit to the customer should be larger so that they're disincentivized to buy that car. Well, that's where things like gas guzzler tax come into play. Right. Good, um, yeah, good, point, good point. Which is a 
real thing. It's a real thing, and it's not mandated by the company selling the car. So that's, you know, if your car gets under a certain mileage, um, and I think it's 20-something these days, um, the government will slap on this gas guzzler tax that forces the customer to, you know, pay extra for killing the planet. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so that's just a little bit about kind of the way it works, um, and there's there's a lot more that can go into it, but we can can leave it there. Uh, actually, it's kind of funny. It's five dollars and fifty cents per tenth of a mile per gallon under the standard, multiplied by the sales volume of that particular model that's failing. That's how they get fined. Damn. Yeah. So, uh, what I kept thinking about as you were describing this to me was like. Mm-hmm how Volkswagen and co got away with it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, they like, were they paying people off on the inside? So, well, their whole thing came from the, so the EPA is the one testing the cars, right? Right. And they, they seemed to, the cars were basically programmed to know when they were being tested. Yeah. It's actually ingenious. Basically they put in a, some lines of code or a whole basically separate ECU flash that the car could determine when it was on a dyno because that's where they do these tests. They don't do these EPA testing out on the road. It's just they don't drive these cars around ever. Um, not to come up with these numbers. Wow. They do it on a dyno. That's so, ridiculous to me because for, on a dyno, you have to supply air to yeah. the engine mm-hmm. and to me, there's just, there's just too many extra variables. There or are maybe, la- maybe lack of variables is well, better I to think say it. A, a lot of it is consistency, though. It helps consistency between vehicles, so you can rate them against yeah, each I other. Get, yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, because if you take if you take a truck out, if you go test a truck on a nice sixty degree day where the engine loves sixty degree air. Mm-hmm. versus taking a truck out on a 100-degree day where the engine's bogged down because it's so humid and shitty. Right. Okay, that's fair. I'll take that. Yeah. Plus, it's just way more practical to do it that way, which, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, is. Is, is just what it is. Yeah. So, um, anyway, they, they programmed these things to know when they were on a dyno. Yeah, basically, they said, okay, if the car is going, if we're experiencing a cycle and the car is going above a certain speed and all this stuff, but the wheels are never turning, then it must be on a dyno. And by wheels turning, I mean the steering. There's never any steering input, because when they run these cars on a dyno, keep the wheels locked straight ahead. So if the car is driving through this crazy cycle, but the wheels are never turning or being steered, um, then it must be on a dyno. That's basically the gist of how they figured it, you know, how they taught the car to know it was on a dyno. Right. Um, and then, and then what? They manipulated the software to output results about the vehicle. No, they the vehicle actually performed within regulation while being tested. So while being tested, it was down on power, um, and it uh, was down on efficiency. The miles per gallon were lower, but it was not putting out as much. Emissions. NOx, NOx gas. Then, when you went to go drive your vehicle under normal conditions, the efficiency, the fuel mileage would go up, and so would the power, but it would then start at a cost of that. The trade-off would be to emit 
way more of this greenhouse gas. And I, I, we're digressing a bit from from your topic here, but that's okay. You told you told me too that like in the car community in the car world, when Volkswagen set out to change the diesel market, which is what they attempted to do with all this, they attempted uh-huh. to change the diesel market and make it an everyday person's car. Mm-hmm. That you told me that the the community, the car community, anybody who was paying attention, basically could not figure out what BMW or I'm sorry, what Volkswagen had done to achieve these numbers. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. Um Be- because I don't know if and, nobody knew or if nobody really questioned it. Okay. Maybe that's it. I'm because not sure correct if me if I was questioning it, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but up until that point, the diesel engine and the all the different characteristics about it from a a numbers standpoint, Volkswagen would have had to have figured out something to totally change how the how the diesel engine function not totally change how it functioned, but they had to come up in order to produce the numbers that they now we know were faking. Yeah. It seemed logical that they had to have figured something really significant out yes, that nobody else definitely. did. Yes. And then it obviously turns out that they didn't figure anything out. They they probably spent a whole bunch of money researching what to do and then ultimately they real their engineers came back and said, "Hey, there's nothing we can do to these diesel engines that will be cost effective and all these things and get us a redu- reduction in emissions." And whoever was in the decision-making chair at that point was like, well, I already wasted billions of dollars on this, so we're going to just cheat. Does yeah, that sound? That's <laughs> pretty much what went down in a nutshell. <laughs> it's really shitty. Oh, it hurts. And if you go watch um, that Netflix documentary on it, it's pretty good. Um, it's one of the episodes of Dirty Money, the first one, I think. Okay. Yeah, go watch that. And... Yeah, at one point they tried to blame it on a single engineer, which is just that's a hor- that's the a craziest, craziest thing. Anyway, we can talk about that for hours. It's ridiculous. Um. All right, so moving on to where we are today with this whole cafe thing. Um. So, like I said before, and I'm trying to move quickly here, but. Obama administration set the target for 54 and a half by 2025, mm-hmm. which if you look at the calendar is not that far away. Um, basically from the time it was set, which I believe was in 20, I think it was announced in 2013, but didn't go into effect until 2017. It's like a 5% increase annually company wide. It's pretty aggressive. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so some examples of what this means practically speaking for, you know, cars on the road. So a Honda Fit in 2025 has to have a minimum fuel efficiency of 61 miles per gallon average um, if the footprint of that car is the same as it is today. 61. Damn. Um, the Honda Fit, as it's sold on the Honda website right now, is at 36.29. Holy crap. So a That's Toyota, a huge increase in seven huge. years. A Toyota Camry... Um, it's got to be at 56 miles per gallon. And right now it's not, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, and we can go into detail some other time on what it would take to get there. Basically hybridization in electric vehicles, um, is really the only way to make that aggressive jump. 
Um, but what I really want to focus on, and I took a long time to get here, is why the administration today wants to roll it back, and we can try to stay as not political as possible, but what's the motivation for that, and whatever insights you can um, provide, but um, some things that just kind of, you know, are contributing to all this is right now gas is cheap, Mm -hmm. Um, so that, among other reasons, are causing people to just flock like crazy to pickup trucks, SUVs, crossovers. Like, I was gonna sedans mention that are a thing of the past right now. I was going to mention earlier that, um, you know, we, you had said uh, people don't, you know, when you segued, uh, people don't change their habits. Mm-hmm. When you and I were 15, 16, and we had our, we shared a car, and we, you know, do you remember how much we were paying to put per gallon into that thing? It was about four dollars and ten cents a gallon, say, something like that. Yeah, in the forest for sure. And that was the only time I ever really remember. Not that I have too much context, but people were actually not buying big stuff. Oh, if you look at hybrid and small car sales, there's a massive spike from 2007 to 2009, and then it just goes the other way again. Um, but from a from a cafe stand or er, point of view. Um, because of the whole volume thing, if GM is, for example, selling a bunch of trucks, their overall rating is going to go down, right? Because right. it's based on volume. So naturally, they're not going to be too keen on this. They have vehicles that are easily meeting the regulations today, but it's not what people are wanting. So it would be super nice if people just, for whatever reason, wanted to buy Priuses and all that, but... The fact of the matter is that they don't, and as our society stands today, automakers are going to do whatever it takes, you know, to cater to customer desires and make as much money as they possibly can. Um, so basically what it boils down to is automakers are willing to just totally let customer preferences drive what they do in their business, which... I know sounds stupid because that's exactly what you would want to do in a business is cater to your customers, but not as there aren't too many businesses that have such a huge fate on the future of you know humanity the one planet that we have. So it would be (laughs) really excellent statement. The one planet we have, we got one. So it would you know it's just it it's like it's like the whole Facebook thing. They're not realizing their responsibility that they have and and stepping up to the plate because if they just keep offering yes gas is cheap and I want SUVs so they're just going to keep offering me them I'm going to buy them but if we played 19 you know 78 all over again and those things weren't available people are going to still buy the cars to get where they need to go and I understand that it might not be what people want and that's a very controversial thing to limit demand in a, uh, you know, capitalist society that we have to limit that type of thing and, and regulate it like that. But it's, it's got huge implications on, on what happens in the future. Right. So I don't know. No, I think that's an incredible, yeah, I totally agree. It, it in terms of the, the textbook definition of capitalism, you, you wouldn't do that sort of thing and money in our society does drive everything and I 
take this moment to like harp on something that I think is a huge problem and the car companies are, are in the news for this a lot. Um, I mean, all company, all corporations are really, but the, the stock market and the short attention span of your average investor mm-hmm. <clears throat> basically means that you're only, your company is only as good as their last earnings report. Mm-hmm. So companies are not incentivized to make long-term investments that you, you Ford, Ford would be very hard pressed and I'm, I'm picking on Ford just cause um, any, any car company, but mm-hmm. Ford would be hard pressed uh, to come out and say, Hey, we're going to take a three year hit to our bottom line, a big one. Mm-hmm. So that in three years we have this very awesome altruistic thing. We have this thing that's good for humanity. Right. You, they would, they would go out of business tomorrow because the the stock market would just. There's, you're telling us that for the next three years you're not going to make any profits. All right, we're done. We're right. not going to talk to you. Right. You can't yeah, do that. It's a little sad. You, it's very sad. Where as much as anybody within that company might have a great idea, I'm sure this has happened a countless number of times where an engineer has an amazing idea that is good for so many reasons, but ultimately it's a negative hit to your bottom line. Mm-hmm. And they're just, sorry, get out. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely happens. That shit makes me mad. It's very frustrating. It is. Um, so yeah, your point about like, you know, them wanting to cater. The reason they are so hell bent on catering to customer, you know, demand like that is that that in a large way drives their stock price. Which absolutely. for a lot of things, at the end of the day, is really all that matters. Yeah. To to some to some things, like uh, obviously not to us, but for a lot of people in a lot of different situations, that is all that matters. Yeah. I mean, what's that, what's that quote? And I don't know if it's even a real quote, but even if it's not. Abraham Lincoln said it then. (laughs) Well, I think it was, it's allegedly Henry Ford, but he said something like, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. I'm sure you've heard that before. Oh yeah. Instead of this whole new product. Right. So it's that type of thing, like leaving it strictly up to customer desire might not be of the best best interest yeah uh where i work we actively try to not well i shouldn't say not but there are definitely a lot of situations where the customer we have both situations where we 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 listened and we despite our our gut feeling went in the direction they wanted to go and it bit us in the butt Mm -hmm. um but we also have the other side where they ended up being you know right so yeah so from a um, government administrative perspective, I'm curious of what your thoughts are on like why they would want to do this. And the only things I could come up with are his overall trend of deregulation is definitely mm-hmm. one. And then maybe just promoting like blue collar industries because that's where his core support is coming from. Yeah, I'm sure I there's way more intricate than that but no i i think that's pretty on the money or on the right track uh it would be a for him it would be a win-win-win situation he gets to satisfy the car companies which have a lot of money and lobbying power Mm -hmm. he gets to satisfy his base 
Yeah. Because now they can, I don't mean to generalize, but they can they can uh, get their pickup trucks for cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he doesn't really care about the environment, or at least doesn't doesn't do things that that communicate that sort of caring. Well, he's just convinced so, himself it's not a problem. Right. So for him, what we would consider the loss is is he doesn't even think about just it. Just doesn't think about it. So it's just a win-win all yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, as it sounds, I guess, maybe too simple of an answer, and maybe it's too pessimistic of me, but I think you're right in the sense that it it really just comes down to money. Mm-hmm. Well, looking you at are, it... you are asking, if I'm the car company, you mm-hmm. are asking me to put a lot of money into R&D. Absolutely. And it does, with what you laid out as what my current motivations would be, not only are you asking me to spend a lot of money – but you're asking me to spend a lot of money on something that I don't think is correct. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to expect them to just like do this out of the kindness of their heart based on the way everything works, as we've been saying. Right. Um, But damn, it would be nice if they did. (laughs) But yeah, looking at it from their perspective, there's this thing called um, the auto Alliance, (laughs) which probably see where i'm awesome. going with this yep, yep. it's yep. an alliance of a lot of the major automakers so you know ford gm i th- honda might be in there um Datsun. mazda is another one i can think of um actually i could probably figure Did it out mean... what's that do you say Datsun? i said dad i said Datsun. <laughs> <laughs> oh bmw fca ford gm um, JLR is in there, Mercedes, all, the big all guys. of them, Toyota, yeah, they're all there. Um, so they have this alliance going, um, just a power thing, I'm sure. But if you go on their website, it's all currently defensive information about what customer preferences are right now and why it's hard to meet the standards, and you know, basically like a a, a information on excuses um but it's like a there's kind of like this hypocrisy and betrayal thing going on from their perspective because or our perspective looking at them i should say because they do a lot of advertising and and talking about how they're you know they care about this these types of issues and emissions and all that and they are putting in the r&d but then Basically, the second that word got out that they were ready to roll this stuff back, they jumped on it. Totally, right. su- totally supportive of it. They Ford. were going along because they had to. Exactly. So, that's a little unfortunate too. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, you get a, like a lot of even Ford you know, does it with their advertisements and stuff and um, just leading you to believe that they really do care about this stuff, but then it's like... Given the opportunity. Given the opportunity to roll it back. And they claim yeah. that it's not that they want it to be reduced, they just want it to be reevaluated because they don't think it's realistic, but I don't know. I don't buy that. That's <laughs> a slippery slope, yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah, I think you kind of started off a little bit like this. I, I'm sitting from my golden throne right now, 
uh, looking <laughs> down. Um, you know, this does kind of seem like one of those moments where, like, you, you wish you could almost, like, pick up a microphone and talk to all of humanity and just be like, look, you can't have your trucks anymore. I'm sorry. You did it in the 70s and the 60s. Mm-hmm. You had your fun, and we fucked it up, and I'm sorry, but we got to do this other thing now. Like, right, right. It just feels like one of those moments where, like, sorry, I know you want this, but... We gotta let that. If you want, if you want your kids to exist, like you gotta, you gotta give us a, a, a bone here. Mm-hmm. And that's very frustrating that you can't really do that. Well, that's kind of what we're trying to do here, right? I mean, we're not without thinking, not without thinking too, <laughs> yeah, without thinking too grandiose about ourselves. <laughs> I, I would like to think so, because well, everybody. I mean, the more people we get talking about something. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't drive a truck, and, and I would, I mean, I, I dig trucks, and, and I'm picking on truck, but like, if you came and told me that, like, hey, you got to drive this electric car now because in 50 years, if you don't, it's pretty likely that Florida is going to be underneath the yeah. water. You know, it's like, all right, well, okay, I, I could do that. Yeah, well, and I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, ban all trucks. Trucks have their place, but sure do. You don't need to be driving a V8, you know, F-150 Limited as your daily driver and never using it for anything truck-related. It just, just just doesn't seem like the best decision to make <laughs> for multiple reasons. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, if customers really do want that stuff and you keep pressure on the regulations, then you're going to at least force them to improve those products, right? And get that five mile per gallon increase. Sure. Um, sure. That we saw that made such a big difference. But if you just reduce the regulations and those vehicles are still the most popular, then we're right back where we were. Yep. And so. another, another thing. Uh, now, I will fully admit that I'm going to have a hard time letting go of the noise. That, yeah, I, it's that not engine, easy. None it of is this not easy, be. and I get it. I really do. But uh, I've I haven't ridden one myself, but I've I've watched one run around. Uh, it was an electric motorcycle, mm-hmm. and specifically the electric motor and the way you know this, but the way an electric motor delivers power. The day that an electric motor is in an F one fifty. And you still get all the torque and all the things that you need the truck to do. Mm-hmm. If you can get over the lack of noise, uh, you, the truck is going to be a better truck. Just flat, no doubt. The way the the torque of the electric motors and the way that they deliver power and the accuracy with which you can control that power, mm-hmm. you are going to be able to do things with that truck that you could never do beforehand. That's true. My only... Um counter to that is um a durability and complexity uh argument Uh, not that they can't be made durable but i was just going to say that's probably a fair statement i would counter back with the fact that a standard engine is literally controlling explosions and yeah that seems pretty uh insane if you break it down to that level as well but it's more fleshed out these days than it is it is yeah that's true you look at like not that not that all of their problems are related to their motors, but you look at a company like Tesla where like 
I was just I was watching some the other night. This guy was talking about Teslas and uh, just like I guess this isn't a good example, but like just the the, the shoddy quality of them, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The drive units keep failing, like a lot of the time. Well, which they've is, got which their is own the motor. Yeah. Individual. That's another quality yeah, that's another issues. Thing. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry, my topic wasn't super fun, but it needed to be talked <laughs> it's about. It's a serious one. Yeah, it's, it's a serious important. one. Yeah, we. I don't. So, I don't think we never, normally try to be too preachy, but. No, but we got a little there, but that's okay. It's, if I can uh, get people to even one person to think about it differently, then. That's good. Yeah. I'll tell you what. The Tesla electric 18-wheel, the Mack truck thing that they have, mm-hmm. that that makes me pretty happy. That's one of yeah. those things that you look at and you go, oh, man, I like that. Because I imagine one of the biggest contributors, well, maybe not so much anymore, but the shipping that we do, the land-based shipping. Oh, it's definitely huge. I'm sure it's huge, yeah. Absolutely. No, that'll make a... Actually, you know what? One more thing before we go here. I was looking up the other day. Um, I woke up one morning thinking about this stuff, and I was like, what can I do personally right now to you know, help reduce the effects Something. of climate change and all that? Whatever. Um, and there are you know, things like you know, using cold water instead of hot water and you know, hanging your clothes up to dry, all this stuff. You, going with an electric car or the biggest thing that you could do as a person is actually going carless, you know, not having a car, obviously not practical for everybody. But beyond that, the the best thing you can do for helping fight climate change is to not have kids. Ha! Because <laughs> think about it. Everything that is causing climate change as we know it and are talking about it today is caused by humans, so if you just eliminate a human, then all their potential to contribute to it is gone. Sure. <laughs> so, so you're, uh, close you're the books. I've already line. done my. Yeah. I've already done my part. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally done the most I could do. I might have mentioned this on a, on a previous episode, but one thing that I do now, granted, it, it does not. I don't use it all the time. I should be better about it. Now that we're in the summer or going into the spring, summer, I will. But um, I bought a camping solar panel. Oh. And I charge. Uh, so my company, we had some merch. And one of the things that we, we bought to hand out at different conferences and stuff was those power banks, those yeah. little batteries. Yeah. So I charge a bunch of those power banks from that solar panel. And that's <laughs> how I try to charge my phone as much as possible. So my phone That's awesome. More often than not has been charged from the sun. I love that. I should get one of that's, those. That's my Also, I don't use plastic bags at the grocery store because Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, hopefully, I think I've hopefully rambled. we haven't turned everybody off, but Yeah, well, if you've made it this far then you're with I, us. Yeah, I congr- congratulate you for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, as always, any feedback or whatever, let us know. Please. Uh, hit us up at the email address. I think it's, I think, it's one, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Wandering Benner, uh, oh man, we're falling apart. Uh, wandering Barry Center, no spaces anywhere, at gmail.com. 
uh, you can send us anything, really. Um, we'll say hello. Yep, for sure. We're, and uh, yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, Instagram, and then check out the website, and then um, we're also on iTunes now, so go on there. Yeah, leave us a review if you could. That would be sweet. Yep, please. This is the groveling portion of the show. Totally not begging. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thanks All right, y'all. Thanks for listening.